Romans chapter 7. This morning we talked about, um, if we were going to boil it down to one thing, we'd say this, a, a, a believer should, should experience victory over sin. I do not mean sinless perfection. I do not mean, and you'll be, it'll be obvious tonight that that's not what I mean, but I do believe that victory is, should be expected by the believer. If we are victimized by things in our lives that, that the Bible says we should have victory over, then we should look at that and say, I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> I must be, and, and really, more often than not, it's wrong thinking. And it's wrong ideas. Uh, wrong thinking, bad doctrine leads to wrong behavior. Uh, bad habits and so forth. And um, I, I like what Brother Jim said this morning about the cult of, of uh, trying harder. Uh, that leads to more frustration. But if you get your thinking right, if you can understand why you face some of the things you face, it makes all the difference in the world. Just knowing that we're all little ships in the same storm helps a little bit. Just knowing that everybody struggles Amen. helps a lot. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk about why is it so hard. Okay, so I'm born again. I'm supposed to have victory over sin. I'm supposed to uh, have joy and life, abundant life. Well, why is this so hard? Why is it so difficult? And so we're going to look at it. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead." For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would for the good that I would I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. This is a heavy passage, uh, but uh, there's a lot here for us, I think. Hopefully it will be a help. All right, let's just pray and, and try, to, try to get going. Lord, we thank you for a good time together. and Lord, we enjoy singing and trying to be a blessing. Um, Really, all that stuff is not really what's important. I hope people enjoy it. It's not a performance and really not supposed to be. May come across that way. Feels that way sometimes. We're not here to perform. We're here to try to be a friend of this church. Be a blessing. The only way we can do that is if we can somehow point them to the Scripture and uh, be, be an encouragement in that regard, Lord. And we ask for your help. We pray for mercy. that We might speak clearly and be heard in the spirit in which you would intend, that we could say things in a way that you would approve of and receive glory. And I pray that uh, people would leave encouraged and we could have two more good nights. In Jesus' name, three more, counting tonight, of course. Amen. Uh, thus far in the book of Romans, we have... Um, I, I, I say thus far in the book of Romans. If, if we would have preached through Romans up to this point... We have talked about the sinfulness of mankind as a whole in the first three chapters. We mentioned that this morning. Man is a sinner and he is desperately sinful. There's not a thing he can do to fix his problem. And if you have any doubt about that, just carefully read Romans 1 and 2 and 3. And it doesn't matter what kind of sinner. If it be uh, uh, the kind of sinner that has given himself recklessly to his own pursuits, to the own sinful pursuits of gratification and so forth, like you find outlined in Romans chapter 1. Well, that's one kind of sinner. But, but uh, there's also that kind of sinner that's just the garden variety good guy. He's a good man, pays his bills, and he's honorable, and he's a good neighbor. You'd want him for a neighbor, but he's not saved. See, no man can save himself. Our, in our flesh, the Bible says, there dwelleth no good Thing. You agree with that? Amen. So 
No man can save himself. It doesn't matter how good he is. Now, I'd rather have a good lost neighbor than a bad lost neighbor. But the point is, when he dies, he's still going to hell. All right? And then there's a third kind of sinner that it talks about, and that's the religious sinner. The person who is devout in his religious commitments, but he's on his way to hell. Now, the Scripture is very clear about that. There's lots of examples of that. Then we get to chapter, the end of chapter 3, we move into chapter 4, and the subject shifts to the, or I guess the attention is directed to the solution to the sin problem. And that is justification. Justification removes man's guilt, declares him innocent. It um, imputes to him the righteousness of God. In other words, it lays to his account God's righteousness. Okay? Then we get uh, into chapter 5 and we see the benefits that come with being converted and being justified. Therefore, being justified by faith we have. And then we talked about that. And then chapter 6, which we looked at this morning, addresses the fact that because we're saved by grace and God has done it all and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, that does not mean that we have a license then to sin. I know you know that, and that's not deep, but we, we need to understand that and make sure that we've got that in our minds. Grace is not a license to sin. The Bible says the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. So then we get to Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 7 is a very disputed passage. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual... Then Paul says, but I am carnal, sold under sin. All right, now I'm struggling because I'm trying not to say sin like I say it. I say sin. So I'm just going to go ahead and say sin the rest of the night because I keep tripping over my pronunciations. I'm intimidated by people who pronounce their words correctly. Amen. (laughs) Now, A picture, exactly. I can't say picture. It has to be pitcher. Like a guy throws a baseball. Hey, let me see that picture. All right. I'm sorry. Now think that Paul says here, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. So a lot of people suggest that, that the Apostle Paul here is talking about his life before he got saved. They go too far. When they try to describe the victorious Christian life. And they can almost discourage you. They'll go so far as to suggest that it almost sounds like they're saying, if you struggle with sin, that you're probably not saved. That's not scriptural. Now keep, keep that in mind. I don't, I don't want to give that impression at all. There is a struggle. And uh, it is a difficult thing to be a victorious Christian. I realize the Lord does it all. But I don't care what you say. This chapter is describing a conflict that is very real. Okay? So if I don't say it exactly right every time, let me say it now. You will never live completely free of sin as long as you're in this body of flesh. And it will always be difficult and discouraging and hard at times. Okay? Well, what we want to answer tonight is why is it that hard? If I'm born again, if my life has changed, if I should, I'm a new creature, why is it hard for me to be a, get victory over my personal struggles? And everybody in here has a different set of personal struggles. And, and the other people's struggles are worse than ours, of course. You know, the Bible talks about sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. 
Now, I don't, know, I don't know exactly what it's like up here, but I know down south what they hang up on down there. I know in our church, if they were to see somebody smoking or drinking, now they'd have a heart attack. I thought they were a Christian. Now, it doesn't matter that the person saying that can't stop running their mouth. There's a 24-hour-a-day mouth-running gossip commitment in their life. They, they're obsessed with running their mouth. You'd be a lot better off to smoke until you drop dead than to gossip. You do the church a whole lot less damage. But we have a funny way of looking at things. Our sins are little sins. Other people's sins are big sins. But the point is everybody struggles. Everybody is admonished to lay aside the sin and the weight which doth so what? Easily beset us. Right? So Romans chapter 7. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3 because I want us to look at, look at something here. There, there's a popular Bible teacher in America that your pastor likes a lot that... Um, I'm just kidding. You guys have got to, that's a joke. You got to know I'm joking when I say sarcastic things like that. He, he's in a, he, he teaches that when you get saved, you have no, you're no longer a carnal or you can't be classified as carnal. All right, now let's look at 1 Corinthians 3. Sometimes people can look at plain statements in the scripture and try to make it say something other than it's obviously saying. Right? Like God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I wonder if God wants everybody to be saved. Well, what does the verse say? It's not hard. It's not rocket science. Right, so, so when someone says a Christian can't be carnal, I wonder if they've ever read this. First Corinthians 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. So he's talking to a group of people that's carnal. And notice what he says, Even as unto babes, where are they? In Christ. It is possible for a believer to be losing the battle to his flesh and living in that part of, of, of his person on a daily basis. It is possible for a Christian to lose that struggle, to be more carnal than spiritual. The goal of church and discipleship, Bible study, personal prayer, all of those things, is so that you will begin to win out spiritually rather than being oppressed all the time by your carnality. That's the goal. But I promise you it's not easy. So when we go back to Romans chapter 7, and Paul is saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. And Paul is saying, That which I would do, I don't do. That which I wouldn't do, that I do. And all of that stuff. Here's what he is not saying or he's not addressing the idea of a believer who is saved so as by fire wallowing in his sin or he's not addressing a person who's never been saved yet who's trying to be. He's talking about this. He's dealing with a Christian who is measuring himself by God's law daily. You think you're a great Christian until you start spending time in this Bible and it'll show you you're not as good as you thought you were. It's like looking at, it's like you think that sheep is white until it starts snowing and he's standing on the side of that snow covered hill, right? All of a sudden the sheep looks dirty, right? Yep. Brother Grady used to say you put shaving cream on your face, you think your teeth is white until you put shaving cream on your face, <laughs> right? Went to my dentist the other day and I said, Doc, I got yellow teeth. He said, So wear a brown necktie. So, well, yeah. <laughs> the expression in verse 24 says it all. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
All right? When you get saved, that old nature is still there. So you've got it with you all the time. Keep that in mind. Think of this Old Testament illustration. You've got the children of Israel. Let's go left to right. All right. You've got the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Okay. That's a sign of being lost. They're in Egypt. They're in the world. So a picture of salvation is that Passover experience and the blood being applied. And they come through that. Okay. All right, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. So now we have this, this type of conversion. Then there's the Red Sea experience where they go into the wilderness. Now, they're no longer in Egypt, but they've reached a point of no return now. They're converted. Typology we're talking about in type, in picture. They're converted and they're in the wilderness. The Bible says, add to your faith, virtue to your virtue, knowledge to your knowledge, temperance. You've read that, so on and so forth until it gets down to... Um, Brotherly kindness, or is it brotherly love? Brotherly kindness, and then charity. Charity would be like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the ultimate in Christian maturity. Add to their faith virtue. That's like that first step. When a person gets saved, what's a, how many times have you seen a person get saved and they go home and they start throwing things out? Because they know it's wrong. We've had people get saved, go home, pour booze down the drain, throw movies and filth out of their house because they know it's wrong. So they start adding those initial components or, 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 or doses of virtue, if you will, to their lives. Then comes knowledge. See, all right, so this person in the wilderness is in that state. They've come out of Egypt, and now they're in this wilderness experience, and it's kind of difficult. So they get to Kadesh Barnea, and they look over into the promised land, and there you have... The great, there you have the grapes of Eskel and the land that flows with milk and honey and all the blessings and promises of God are, are to be had there. And if they cross over the river Jordan and go into that land of promise, there are great blessings to be had. But what's over there? Giants and fenced cities, right? Even in the land of victory, there's struggle. So that's what I want you to understand is when we try to live for the Lord, when we try to be victorious Christians, there's going to be struggle. Now, can I say this? If you'll come back tomorrow night and Tuesday night, I'm going to try to preach a funner sermon. I don't have any good sermons. I don't have any. But if I did, this is not one of them. But I'm not preaching it because I think it's a good sermon. I'm preaching it because the truth is good. And if I could get a little bit of it across, it would help you in your life to understand, hey, man, everybody struggles like this. And maybe give you a little encouragement in the struggle. Don't quit in that struggle. And that only the blood, like Brother, Brother Alt said this morning, it's going to take the power of God to get you through the struggle. So you have to get yourself in a position to, to experience that power and to use that power. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Now, when we go to this text, you'll notice there's, there's three sections in our chapter. Verses 1 through 6, uh, our change is illustrated. Okay? Our change is illustrated, and this is, this is using the illustration of marriage to illustrate how that we were once under the law, but now we've been married to another, and that'd be Christ. Now we're dead to sin and to the law of sin and death. All right, that, that's illustrating the change in our lives. The second section, verses 7 through 13, 
demonstrates our relationship to the law. And we have it's illuminated there. So our change is illustrated. Our relationship to the law is illuminated. And then our struggle is demonstrated. Verses 15 through 25. Look back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Romans 6 and verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. This is what we're talking about. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under law, but under grace. That's what Pastor Alter is preaching about in, in Galatians. All right. So this verse 14 in chapter 6 is what is being explained in Romans chapter 7. The first half of the verse, being verse 14, is explained in the end of chapter 6. And then the, the uh, second half of the verse, not under the law, but under grace, is explained in chapter 7. All right, now hang on. We have an analogy in verses 1 through 6 that shows us that we are no longer bound to the yoke of the law, but we're free. Have you ever heard that illustration about a woman who's married to a, a, an impossible taskmaster type of a husband? And to her delight, I mean chagrin, he passed away and she married again. And this man that she married was a wonderful, loving, caring husband and provided for and was very affectionate and just everything that she had hoped for. And one day she's cleaning the house and pulls the sofa out and finds a list of things that she had written down that her previous husband had demanded she do. And she realized that in the grace of the new relationship, she was still trying to do the same things. She was doing the same things that she was oppressed to do under the old relationship. Now, the difference is she's been set free. The law is not a bad thing, as we're going to see. But the law is a holy thing that shows us that we are bad. But the law is like a mirror hanging on the wall. When you look in the mirror and see how messed up you are, you don't take the mirror off and try to clean yourself with it. It simply shows you what you are. And how many of you, no, don't answer that, <laughs> have ever looked in the mirror and said, wow, this is not good, <laughs> right? That's life. We're all there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you need glasses. Amen. All right. Now, here's the question. Let's get at it. <laughs> Verse 5. For when we... We're in the flesh, the motions of sins. All right? That just very simply means going about sin, living a life of sin. The motions of sin, which were by the law. Now, what does that mean, by the law? It doesn't mean that if you do what the law says, you're sinning. It means that you don't know it's sin unless you have the law. It's the law that says, oh, that's wrong. Okay? The motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members... To bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held. That we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So here's the question. We'll try to answer it quickly. If we are truly transformed, why is this so hard? How many of you right now, let me give you a chance to do it. Think for a second about your struggle. In your personal life. Now, don't worry about somebody else's. In your life. How many of you are thinking of a sinful, carnal trait 
that you struggle with in your own life. Do you have something like that? All right. I know that I do. Um, my wife doesn't, but I do. Very difficult. I, I, one, a great way to illustrate it. How many of you have ever been with your, your wife or your husband? And you're driving along and you're having a conversation and something says to your in your mind, this conversation is not going well. You ever have one of those? You need to redirect this conversation. Because if you say what you're thinking, <laughs> it's not going to go well. And you say it anyway. And you were right. <laughs> and then something says, look, get this fixed. Because if you don't, that's going to be a long, it's going to be a long day. Has anybody else ever gone through that? Now, I've never gone through that. I've read about it. I, I, <laughs> I just think it's funny how the flesh works. And now we know we ought to stop this. We ought to be kind. Something will tell me sometimes, be nice to your wife. Look at her. What has she ever done to you? She follows you around. You don't make two, you don't have two nickels to rub together. You're a poor, a B-grade, mediocre preacher. You're pathetic. And she follows you all over the place. And you're browbeating her over this. Did you ever have that thing with your flesh? Am I the only sinner here? Is anybody with me? It's amazing how powerful those things are. Why is that so hard? Why is it so difficult to get past those struggles in our own lives? Here a few answers, all right? Hopefully they'll be somewhat accurate and helpful. All right, look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? In other words, obviously he's giving us an illustration that we have been severed from, freed from the law. So that means the law is bad? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin. But by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. The first reason it's so hard, this is it, the lusts of our flesh. That's the first reason it's hard. The lusts of our flesh. You know, Brother Jim has said, I I love the way he says this, that the devil has three plays in his playbook. You know what they are, right? What are they? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, that desire to do things that we should not desire to do. By the way, desire is not a sin. The Bible says, delight thyself in the Lord and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I think some people have the idea that contentment is being, you know, a dial tone. That you don't want anything. And that's not true. The Bible says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And the Lord gives us desires. And it's okay to have a passion that would move you in pursuit of better things and a better life. But this, this kind of desire is called in the scripture, lust. It is defined in our passage as covetousness. We struggle because of the lusts of our flesh. Let's admit it. We want things we are not supposed to want. We make everything about us. What a neurotic bunch we have become. What a simple life it used to be when people would work in the field all day and eat about dark and go to bed. and get. That's all they did. Nobody had a telephone. There certainly wasn't any Facebook. 
Hallelujah. No Facebook. So our flesh, we're living in a day now where our flesh seems to be in high gear all the time. This is not an excuse for sin, but I promise you, Charles Spurgeon in his day never saw some of the things that today's Christian, today's believer sees that his mind and heart is bombarded with every single day. It's difficult to deal with your flesh. The lusts of our flesh. Let's make a couple observations about it. The law reveals our desires. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. When you get into the Word of God, the Word of God will begin to speak to you about your appetites and the things that you're craving and the things that you're wanting, the things that your lust are after, your ambition. That's why, by the way, we have reached a time when men will not endure sound doctrine. Because sound doctrine shows them what they are. It tells them the truth about who they are. It tells them who's to blame. Now, I've got my problems with other people. I'm a pastor. Who, who doesn't? But my biggest problems are not people that I pastor. They're not other preachers that might be mad at me or whatever. It's me. I'm the biggest problem that I face. And my flesh, if I could whip my flesh, I wouldn't have any more major problems. That's the struggle. And the law reveals my desires. Look at, uh, hold your place and go to James 4. I was preaching at a guy's church once, and I'm waiting to preach and sitting in his office. I'm flipping through the sword of the Lord. And I ran across an ad for a meeting. It was a big meeting, and there was a guy preaching there that, in my estimation of things at the time, was a, a bum. This is going to be honest with you. My flesh said he's a bum. And I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm about to preach. I'm looking at that. And I thought to myself, I said, what is that loser doing preaching at that meeting? And I, it's like my, I was overwhelmed with conviction instantly. Like, who do I think that I am? Now, that's just a little snapshot. We struggle with that stuff all the time. How, how many things do we say that it's just our flesh talking? How many little power moves do we make, like little passive-aggressive uh, angles do we work in life that is just our flesh at work? And when you get into the law of God, the law of God will reveal that to you if you will read it honestly and openly. James chapter 4 and verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? It's not talking about members of a church. It's talking about members of your body. Same thing we're reading in the other chapter. You lust and have not. You kill and what? Desire to have. Lust is a kind of desire that is wrong. It's excessive or it's illicit. It's the wrong kind of desire. And there are big ones in that area. And everybody here is thinking of somebody who lost the battle of some big sin in their life. But there may be a little sin in your life that's doing the same thing. The Bible says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth or stumbleth. How many times have we kind of gotten a warm feeling inside when we saw somebody blow it? How often have we pulled against someone that if we were really what we should be, we'd be pulling for them to turn it around? But our flesh gets in it, see. 
Our desires can be out of whack. I, I struggle with that as a pastor. I live on the church property, and there's about, there's about oh, I'd say um, 20% of the Sunday mornings walking from the house to the church. Dude, it's a real struggle in my mind. I will dream up 15 things to be mad about before I ever get there. It's just a battle. Or depressed about. Or defeated about. And I, the only way for me to whip that is to deal with my flesh and realize I am there to serve those people. I'm there to preach the Word of God to them in a way that God can minister in their lives. And what they think about me or how much wonderful they think I am is not important. And I have to put that aside. And then, then when I do that, then I can minister with blessing and with freedom and with privilege. So the law reveals our desires, okay? That's what the passage is talking about. Look at verse 8. Notice it says, But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. The, the law, or sin rather, taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Now concupiscence is an irregular appetite for carnal or worldly things. All right, you, ever, you, you know when I feel the most carnal, and I'm sure there's many other times I should feel that way. I, I feel the most carnal when I'm wanting things. I don't know what it is about that. I just sometimes I can walk through the mall and just feel filthy because all I want is stuff. Now, sometimes it <laughs> it's, it's a guitar. And just, just, just thinking my whole happiness will somehow spring from that little sound hole on that guitar. And it gets pretty close sometimes. But are, you ever feel that way? Is there a little something in your life and you'll think, man, this, I need a bath. I was talking to a friend of mine one day and he was looking through a catalog of trucks. He wanted a new truck. And he said, man, I, I am in sin right now. I'm just telling you. I am in sin. It's not a sin to want a truck. But it's a sin for our appetites to get out of whack. And for us to feel like our hopes and our dreams and our happinesses are in all those things. Now, the law rouses our true nature. We said the law reveals our desires. It rouses our true nature. And we just read that, okay? Uh, verse 8 says, It wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. The only illustration I know to give you, and I hope this is accurate. This is the best my little small brain can come up with. But this is like a broom. You know how you can, you can sweep with a broom and it stirs the dust up, all right? You're trying to clean, all right, but it stirs it. And that's what the law of God will do. When you get into the Bible and you start taking the law of God into your heart, it'll, it'll have your heart and your life in a stir because we're a lot more messed up than we think we are. And when the Word of God gets in us and starts working... We start, I, I give you a great example of it. My dad, when we were going to church as a kid, my dad was asked to be a deacon. And my dad has always been a good man, always a good father. He would tell you this story, so I'm not telling a bad story on my dad. But my dad was a really good man, faithful to the Lord, faithful to church, but he smoked. And uh, he, I remember him saying, I'd probably be a deacon if it wasn't for smoking. He said, I think I'd get everything else pretty much whipped. That's kind of the way he said it, you know. And, 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 and he said, if it wasn't for smoking, I'd, I'd be good to go. We're going home from church on one Sunday afternoon. And I'm going to make this story short. There was a guy in the next car that would said some things that were not good to say to my father on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and dad, well, 
threatened to lay hands on him in a ministerial fashion, not so ministerial fashion, at the traffic light. Me and my brother sit in the back seat going, whoa, get him, Dad. Get him. Well, it was quite a little scene there, and that guy took off because I promise you he did not want to get involved in that, that ministry session. I promise you. And so we go home and... And Dad, I could tell I was working on him. This was some days later. And he said, he said boys, sit down. Let me talk to you. You always, you always had a, a speech coming when you got the boys. Let me talk to you. And he explained to us. He said, I got a lot more to work on than just those cigarettes. That told me that he was a better man than I thought he was. You know what I mean? That, that was a great moment for me as a kid. I didn't look at that like my dad's bad because he threatened that guy and he smokes. <laughs> That's not the way I took that as a kid. I took that as my dad's serious about being a Christian. My dad, that I think is the strongest man in the world, is making changes to try to be like Christ. But it was a struggle. Amen. That's the best illustration I got for that. So we said the law reveals our desires. The law rouses our true nature. The law ruins our plans. Hey, hey, let me give you an illustration on myself. Let me tell you a story on myself, all right? Quickly, we'll get done here in just a second. Look at Titus chapter 1. It's funny when you start talking about qualifications for the ministry. God thinks that long, if he's been married one time, he's good to go. He could be the meanest jerk on the planet. As long as he's only been married once, he's qualified. Right? I was reading Titus one time. Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. So God's given us some responsibility. Trusted us. Entrusted us with some things. Look at this. Not self-willed. I read that and I said, ooh, nobody's more self-willed than me. Nobody. I tell you, I know I'm self-willed when I travel somewhere to preach. They pick me up at the airport and I get, I'm not in the car 30 seconds and there's something that's not suiting me. And I want more air conditioner. I want him to close the, not mess my hair up with that sunroof. I'm wanting to get to a Starbucks. I'm self-willed. I mean, just it, I, I just started noticing that. I thought I was humble all these years. <laughs> and then look at that. Not self-willed. How about the next one? Not soon angry. Oh, that's why I'm soon angry. Because I'm self-willed. I've got to have it my way. And I've got to have it my way right now. And if I don't get my way, then I'm mad. Oh, you don't know that I covered up because I'm a minister. But it's the same thing, man. Because in my flesh, I'm tore out of frame over a cup. At Starbucks. Self-willed, soon angry. And then, what's the next one? That's when I go to drinking. Amen? Anyway. You know. <laughs> Woo! It's rough. So, we're talking about the lusts of our flesh. That's why it's hard. Our flesh doesn't do right naturally. I'm going to tell you something. I love my wife. She's the greatest friend I have in the world. But it's not natural for me to be nice to her. She's mean. (laughs) And that's it's just something about it. You can ask my kids. There's sometimes when, man, they just don't want to be. When Alabama's playing, I'm alone. (laughs) Nobody watches that with me. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, you do. I'm just trying to be transparent. I'm just trying to tell you it's a struggle. And you can go get a haircut. And, and you can go put on some more modest clothes. And you can try to look more like a Christian. And you can carry your Bible. And you can, you know, maybe throw out the, the satanic death metal. And get some more pleasant music. You can make a lot of changes, all of which are great. 
and still have some really core issues with your carnality on the inside. We said the law reveals our desires. The law arouses our true nature. The law ruins our plans. Look at verse 9. For I was alive without the law once. I'm doing great. You know, don't, hey, what I don't know won't hurt me, right? But when the commandment came, sin revived. In other words, when I begin to see what God expects, then all of a sudden I'm seeing sin in my life that I didn't know was there. Sin revived and I died. Thus, all my hopes to reform myself, all my hopes to make me a better version of the miracle that I am, it dies. And instead of feeling like I've conquered the issue, I realize when I look into the law of God and the law of God goes, hey, look at that sin, look at that one, look at that one. Then all of a sudden, sin revives because I'm not as good as I thought I was and then I die. Because all of my efforts now to be great are dashed against the stones of self-reformation. We can't make ourselves better. He has to make us better. And so, so that's the idea. In our flesh, you'll never get it. There's a lot of people in their flesh playing church. And they're pretending. But when you get serious with God and try to become a genuine, thorough Christian. Look, I I promise you I'm not trying to lift them up. I'm not just because I'm here. I tell people all the time, you ought to go to Jim Alter's home if you want to see what a Christian home is supposed to be like. They have it right. Now, I'm not lifting them up. Nobody's kids are perfect. They sure have some fine children though. And they have a wonderful home and they do it right. You want to learn how to do it? Go see them. They'll help you do it. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to see that in action, okay? And that had something to do with my sermon, and I don't have any idea now what it was. It'll come back to me. What was the point? Go to First Peter chapter 2. Boy, that's really bad. They do have a wonderful family, though. <laughs> Oh, Lord, you got to help me figure that out because it's going to drive me nuts. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. <clears throat> Dearly beloved, oh, I almost had it. <laughs> I almost had it. It was almost right there. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Okay, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, look at this, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Okay, there it is. I remember. (laughs) I was going to say, I know Brother Jim and I know Miss Laura and I know people. I don't know what the Bible says about people. They're people. If they can do it, you can do it. Really. I know they seem exceptional and they are in some human ways, but so are you. Everybody in here has gifts and special abilities and traits that God gave you. And if that's sanctified, you can have a wonderful Christian home. What they have done, what we've tried to do in our crazy way, (laughs) what we've tried to do, I know what they've done. I see it in this church as well, in the discipleship growth. it's, it's, It's evident here is that when you begin to win consistently, it's because you have removed things from your life that war against the soul. 
You've, you've, you've put up barriers. You've made changes in your life that do not have you under fire from your flesh all the time. Does that make any sense at all? In other words, those are changes anybody can make. You don't have to be extra smart or extra talented or extra gifted in any kind of way. You just have to say, well, would this please the Lord? Don't think it does. Doesn't seem to be consistent with what we believe. I think Brother Jim's advice in that area is probably good. And it goes with the Scripture. So let's get this out. On the other hand, this seems to be a good thing. It's consistent with the Scripture. It seems to be a way I can obey the Lord in this area of my life. Let's put it in. Let's leave it there. You see, those kind of decisions, you have to start making them. And before long, your life will change. Will you have struggles? Absolutely. Will you find that there are times when you're shocked that after all you've done, you still struggle? Yes. But it'll be better than it would have been. Had you not made the changes and gone to war against your flesh? That's the first reason. And I think the primary reason that it's so hard. Now, let's get done. We'll be done here like five, ten minutes, okay? The second reason it's hard is the law of God. Look at verse 13. Uh, it, it, everything I just said about families and Brother Jim's family, are, okay, just as an example. Let me tell you something that bugs me. I hate to hear somebody say about a kid, say, for instance, that plays the piano. Boy, they're very talented. Look, they don't play the piano because they're talented. You're not born playing the piano. They play the piano because they have pursued a particular gift with discipline applied. Everybody doesn't have musical ability. And let me tell you something. It doesn't make you special if you do. I'm, I love my kids. I love to hear them play. But, but if they're special, I think they are. But if they're special, they're special because they have applied themselves in those areas. Every kid in here has ability. Every kid in here has gifts. You don't have to be musical. You don't have to be athletic. There's nothing more overrated than sports. But you do have gifts and abilities Find out what they are and pursue them in a way that would honor God. And that's what makes for a rich life. And the flesh is always contrary to that. It'll always ruin and spoil that. That's what we're trying to say. All right? Verse chapter 7, look at verse 13. The lust of the flesh. Verse 13, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. The second reason it's so hard is the law of God. Now, how does the law of God make our, our spiritual life difficult? Well, first of all, the law is good. Verse 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just and good. What does Psalm say? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, making wise the simple. Now, how does what does that have to do with what we're talking about? It's hard because this is perfect. There's no wiggle room when you get in here. And that, that, that's hard. The law is spiritual, according to verse 14, and it cannot be fulfilled in the flesh. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So if I'm still dealing with the flesh... But yet the law is spiritual. There's conflict. See how that's conflict. And so that which is perfect is set against that which is corrupt in my life all the time. That's a struggle. The law shows us our sin. Verse 13, we read that. Now, if we combine, number one and number two, the lusts 
of our flesh with the law of God. You put those two together. When those two merge in your life, man, that is difficult. That's where it becomes hard. Because you, you go, you grapple with yourself and your sinfulness and the part of you that is the most flawed when you look deeply into the law of God. And that's a struggle for all of us. It's a struggle for a young person to learn that there's more to life than appearance and performance. And that's all the world values. If you look good by the world standards, or if you can play some sport well, or if you, can, or if you have some ability that appeals to the world in any kind of a way, you're cool with them. But those two things don't give you a pass with God. God is looking for holiness within. And I'm telling you something, young people, if you'll be right with God, if you'll strive to be right inside and keep that right, you'll have the best possible life you could ever have. And the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. But the way of the transgressor, that is hard. Now that is true. But when you get down to the nitty gritty of sanctification, you'll have your moments where you'll say, why is it so hard to live for God? It's because the lusts of the flesh are totally contrary to the law of God. That brings us to this last thought, and that is the lament of the soul. The lament of the soul. Look at the cries. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. See that? Look at verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Verse 21. For I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Verse 24. O wretched man that I am. Have you ever been disgusted with yourself? Have you ever gotten just tired of yourself? That's not bad. That can be good. Now look at the, not only the cries, but the condition. Verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that, uh, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the, law, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. The cries and the condition. Buddy and I were having a conversation not long ago about trying to grow, uh, to grow up and become an adult, make decisions in life. And, and he, said, he said, boy, he said, it's, sometimes it's just hard. And I said, what's hard? He said, the decisions. That is hard, isn't it? Do you remember when you were 18, 19, 17, 16, you were trying to decide what you were going to be, trying to decide to do the right things, and it seemed so hard. Seemed hard, didn't it? But nothing like the way of the transgressors. That's what we have to remember. So we have the cries and the condition, and look at the culprit. Why the lament of the soul? Who's to blame for this? Verse 17. Now then it is no more... I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 20, Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin 
that dwelleth in me. Verse 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Now this idea of sin in me it is very simply the yet unredeemed part of my flesh. It's talking about my old nature. Again, that which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. When a person is born again, he becomes a new creature on the inside, but he still has his flesh. It's still there. Still have to deal with it. That's what he's talking about. In Romans chapter 8, we'll elaborate a little bit in verse uh, 22, which says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. You understand that we are saved. And spiritually, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And our blessings, they're going to be ours. We, they're ours. We're just not enjoying them yet, right? We're going to get a new body, but we don't have it yet. I wouldn't be wearing these stupid bifocals. I wouldn't be bald. I wouldn't have this backache. Uh, amen. I, I mean, we're gonna, all that's going to be right one day, but it's, it's not now. And that's the culprit. In me is an old nature that will always want to do the wrong thing. It will always want to nurse a bad spirit. It will always want to make the wrong decision, not the right decision. Always. The idea is that we do not live in concupiscence which becomes an extreme or an overly fed and nursed fleshly appetite. But that can we, we can come to do this, and this is the last thing. This is the conclusion, the thought in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Man, you preach a sermon like this, you're hoping for some really cool solution. He's going to give me something. That's good. How can you preach a whole sermon that talks about it's hard and then have a simple solution? There's not a simple solution. It's like people who want an angle to get in shape. Let me tell you. Let me tell you the magic formula. Cut the calories in half and live on a treadmill. It's not rocket science. My dad would get on a treadmill for five minutes and man, he, he, he might as well. He's like he ran around the world. I've gotten on the treadmill before. I'll say, don't look down. Do not look down. Do not look down. It, in my mind, you know, I'm catching passes for the University of Alabama. I'm getting after it. Oh, I got myself all whipped up. And I look down and go going three minutes. Holy cannoli. <laughs> Brutal. Now, I know, what you're th I know I seem to run rabbits. But again, like I said this morning, it's connected in my mind. What does that have to do with this? The Bible says to exercise yourself into godliness. Amen. Exercise yourself. So, how do you exercise? Well, I, if you're out of shape, it's really, you just get on the treadmill for five minutes tomorrow. Just five minutes. That won't do a thing, but it's better than what you were doing. And so you go five minutes. And then on Tuesday, go six. Wednesday, go seven. Thursday, go eight. Friday, go nine. And then rest Saturday and Sunday. And Monday... The next one, go 10 minutes. And keep doing it till you can go about 45 minutes a day hard. Stop eating sweets. Drink a, twice as much water. No fried foods. Eat a lot of rice. 
a lot of nasty, bland, grilled Yankee chicken. <laughs> Sorry. You with me? Just do that for a year and you will be a stud and a half like this. It's not hard. I was on a diet before I came here for two weeks. I lost 10 pounds. Of course, I told everybody too. I was bad. You can ask everybody in the family. I was a flex in, walking around without my shirt on in the house. Hey, what's up? <laughs> girls love that. These girls, I mean my girls. Hey, listen. Two weeks on a diet, going to the gym, and I wanted to kill somebody. Ill, mad, rooted, irritated for two weeks. All the time. All I could think about was a bologna sandwich. I, I didn't need any lobster. I just want a bologna and cheese sandwich with mayonnaise and some of that white bread that will take a day off your life that sticks to the roof of your mouth. Cheap, white bread. And some, and <laughs> some Fritos and some bean dip. And I wanted a Diet Coke, really cold, it burns your mouth. And then I wanted some Little Debbie's. Like ten different kinds of Little Debbie's. Get out of my face and let me watch TV. I'm just mad. Why? Because our flesh is, is just out of control. That's how you have to exercise yourself. I, I want to get back to playing golf. I'd like to be able to play with your pastor without being embarrassed. I'm a long way from that. I like to play golf. If I hit it like I can, it's really nice. Looks good. Great ball flight. I got a nice looking swing. It just never works. It's incredible how hard it is. I go to the, I went to the buddy and I have been going driving around town for two weeks trying to get back at it and get where I could play. And I'm telling you, it's very difficult. You know, if you've ever played golf, there's some aspects of it that don't work for me right. I can't seem to strike it clean. And I'll hit one that's just beautiful. I'll hit three. And I feel like I've just put knocked my spine out of alignment. Horrible. Exercise yourself in the godliness. And you bring that thing back here to what we're talking about. If you've been a gossip all your life, you're not going to just trot down here to the altar and cry a little bit and go home and never gossip again. You have to exercise yourself into godliness. That means you have to yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Whereas before you were yielding them as instruments of unrighteousness. So instead of gossiping, you have to plan what you're going to say to people. I'm going to talk about God. I'm going to share some verses that's been a blessing to me. I'm going to talk about how much I enjoyed Sunday's sermon instead of criticizing some silly thing that got my nose out of joint in the nursery. I'm going to be positive. And when you feel like you're running out of gas, say, you know what, i got to go. I sure have enjoyed talking to you. And i got to go back and get your back on the treadmill. Right? Man, if you're one of those disconnected carnal dads, a good example of that in the Scripture would be Isaac. He actually preferred one of his sons over the other because he provided him with meat to eat. That's the picture of carnality. A lot of carnal dads in the world. who All they care about is their deer hunting or catching a bigger fish or having a better golf score or working on that old car. And it's all about them and their hobbies or their career or their job. It's all carnality. Their wife doesn't have much of a husband. The kids have got a checked out dad. 
You don't just change that by one trip to the altar. You can start in your mind at the altar. Then you got to get a plan. You got to get on that treadmill. You got to become a dad on the treadmill. And you got to say every day, I'm going to do this with my kids from this time to this time. I got to reconnect. You follow me? I'm just picking stuff out of the air. I don't know what your struggle is in life. If you have a lust problem, and this is a very carnal culture, you're going to have to get a hold of that thing and get a grip on it. It's not natural and normal and the manly thing to have a filthy mind, to be obsessed with that stuff all the time. That's not a good thing. That just says you're weak. That's not what good men have done. That's not what great men do. Great men are committed to something bigger than them and they give their lives to it and they fill their minds with good things. And you see that? But it's like getting on a treadmill. Spirituality, sanctification is not going to just occur. Now, I'm done and I'll confess something. Maybe Brother Jim will clear it up. And I mean that sincerely, not in a smart aleck way. Brother Jim said a wonderful thing this morning. It's not about trying harder. It's God that does the work of sanctification in our hearts. I think Brother Jim would also agree that we do have a part in... The Bible says that we sanctify the Lord God in our own hearts. That means we have to make some decisions. And we have to do some things. We have to follow the leadership of the Lord. So one side of this thing is going to require our effort. Exercise yourself in the godliness. But it's not your power and your strength and your ability that's going to set you free from those things and give you the victory. It's going to be the power of God. It's the Spirit of God that teaches you the Bible, but it's not going to just crawl in your ear. You have to read it. See what I mean? And how to fix that and connect those two things, I can't do now. I don't have any time. I don't know that I could do it if, if I wanted to. But you won't go wrong pursuing better things. But it'll be hard because of the lust of your flesh, because of the law of God, and because of the lament of your own soul in the process. But don't be dismayed. It is difficult. Whatever your problem is, get on that treadmill. Get a plan. I bet you, you know how to fix the problem. And if you have one of those problems that's so complex that you don't know where to start, or maybe you're so addled by the struggle that you, you can't answer simple questions in your own. You don't have to advise yourself. You ever been there? I can give other people advice. advice. Sometimes I don't have any idea what to do with my own problems. If you're there, you have help here. Your pastor will help you. I know he will. And there's others here who could help you as well. Get help. Get a plan. Get on the treadmill. Man, the discipleship here, you, you got no excuse in this church to not live for the Lord. And to be something for Him. It won't change overnight. It takes a while. You get involved in discipleship. You be faithful to the church. You be faithful to what God's doing in your life. And you will see changes. Let's pray together.